No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots stock show, which will attempt to shine a a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. Uh, Tonight we have a special guest, uh, especially considering what's gone on uh, this week in the Supreme Court. We're lucky enough to have Dr. Laura Myers with us tonight. She's the Chief Executive Officer of Planned Parenthood of Metropolitan Washington. Before uh, joining uh, the the staff at, uh, in Metropolitan Washington Planned Parenthood, Dr. Myers was um, the head, the CEO of Planned Parenthood in Western New York. Uh, she holds a PhD in Social Foundations of Education from the state. University of New York at Buffalo, and a master's in counseling from UB, uh, from UB, and an undergraduate degree from SUNY. So we're so happy to have you with us, Dr. Meyer. Uh, oh my God, what a week, huh? Um, you could call it that. It was it was a stunning week, even stunning. though um, the decision itself. Uh, isn't a surprise to those who have been watching and listening to um, what um, the right wing has been saying about their plans and their agenda. Um, it was nevertheless a real gut punch. Yeah, a real gut punch. And, and uh, you know, although the decision hasn't been made yet uh, officially, uh, we're already parsing it. We're already looking at what the effect <laughs> Uh, might be, and I can tell you something, uh, doctor. I, I want your, your, you know, you to give me feedback on this. I've been talking to my wife about this, and I realize that this is about much more than abortion to women. This is all about uh, the right of a woman to have control of her own uh, body, and and uh, abortion is really just 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 the tip of the iceberg, is it not? Well, I certainly think that that is true. I think that this is about controlling women. And I think um, if women do not have access to safe and legal abortion, um, certainly their ability to exercise dominion over their own lives and bodies diminishes considerably. And and is, isn't it, am I right in this that women will never be equal until they have control over their own bodies? I, Absolutely. Absolutely, that is the case. Uh, Can you imagine a world in which men don't have control over their bodies? Um, We can't even envision that, Um, because this is so much about 
um, about controlling women and controlling our ability to exercise our self-determination and what a way that is, right? Whether it's to participate in the workforce, whether that's to have a family, not have a family, have a big family, have a small family, it is all about control. Um, and so when you think about this and also, you know, the more we keep reading about the other kinds of decisions that have been based on the right to privacy, it gets scarier and scarier. Yeah, I bet. If you're looking at marriage equality, you're looking at access to contraception, those were decided based on privacy, um, which, um, which Justice Alito um, doesn't believe we're entitled to. It was, before I let my co-host ask a, a question, was it a mistake to tie it to, to, to privacy instead of tying it to the 14th Amendment when the original Roe case was done? Uh, what do you, you think it would have been better had it been tied to the 14th Amendment, equal protection under the law? Uh, you bring up, uh, you know, can we conceive of men being in this position? I think the answer to that is no. Uh, I think that we're pretty sure that if men got pregnant, you could get abortions at ATM machines. Uh, Absolutely. But, uh, uh, but uh, was it a mistake? Should it originally, the case originally been fought on the grounds of the 14th Amendment? So here's what I would say. Um, I don't think um, having that, ar ar that argument is helpful in this moment. I think that... Um, I think what we're faced here is that this has been settled law for nearly 50 years. And this court is seeking to undo a 50-year precedent. And so, you know, when we think back to the Supreme Court hearings that we all watched for the um, Trump appointees, all of them talked about the respect for precedent and settled law. And we just see that being thrown out the window um, because of an ideological um, position that they hold. Marilia, did you have a question? I'm yes. sorry. Oh, please go ahead. Hi. Um, <clears throat> nice to have you on the show. Um, so you're mentioning, and I have other questions, but I, I just thought I would jump in on, on what you said about um, it, the issue being about controlling women. Um, so this begs the question of who is trying to control women? And it, it doesn't seem to me that it's the women out there with the placards and the signs and yelling, you know, pro-life, don't kill babies and all this stuff. Are you saying that they want themselves controlled as well? Or is the issue for them really about killing fetuses? And so therefore, it leaves the people in the Supreme Court and the right wing who wants to control women. Is that what you're saying? Just to parse that a little bit for more for our viewing audience or, or listening audience. Well, I think if we look about look at the polling in the United States, you mm -hmm. see the vast majority of Americans support abortion um, and believe that Roe should not be overturned and that um, that women should have access to safe legal abortion. 
So you, when you, when you look at that and say the vast majority of Americans uh, believe that, and there's only about 19% um, who believe abortion should be entirely illegal. Um, and so when you think about it, that's a very small minority. And then you have unelected um, justices who were selected specifically because of their views on abortion. They were selected from a list from the Federalist Society, which has a litmus test for anyone going on to that list um, that mm-hmm. says they would overturn Roe v. Wade and oppose um, any constitutional right um, to abortion. So you see that we have this extremist um, right-wing minority who is seeking to um, impose an extreme agenda on the country. Um, And as you could could tell last week when uh, the leak happened, and they, of course, wanted to talk about the leak and how egregious the leak was, rather than the fact that the court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade, a tremendously unpopular position. And, of course, they didn't want the focus to be on that. Let me ask you about that, that briefly. First, first, let me make the comment that people like uh, Susan Collins uh, when, uh, of Maine, when the uh, appointees that you were talking about to the Supreme Court were in front of the Senate, uh, she and other Republican senators said Roe was a matter of settled law. Uh, but now it seems they've changed their mind. They, they no longer believe that it was uh, a matter of settled, settled law. I, I don't, I don't get that. Uh, but let me ask you: I don't believe that there are any accidents in politics. So why the leak? Do you have any any sense of why why the information was leaked to begin with? Was it just that? Uh, they wanted to test the waters or, or try to uh, uh, gen, generate support or, or reduce pushback by, by putting it out there for a couple of weeks. Do you think there was some, some premeditated reason for leaking this information or was it just a, an accident? I think a lot of people are speculating uh, on that. I don't think I have anything to add except to say, again, that this position in terms of overturning Roe v. Wade and and the kind of specious arguments that are being used in that opinion are tremendously unpopular with the American people. Um, And so uh, no surprise that we saw rallies across the country and we will continue to see rallies um, around the country at Planned Parenthood. Uh, Our, you know, sort of our um, activism is around, you know, keeping bans off of our bodies. And so, um, you know, we're inviting um, advocates and activists across the country to participate um, in, you know, speaking up and, and speaking out. Yeah, I get that. So on that note, Myers, um, can I ask um, you to, again, for our listening audience, give us sort of a, a history of Planned Parenthood, if you don't mind, and 
and how that got started and, and what its mission is and what it's all about in terms of exactly what it does. Um, and on and in tangential to that, do you think you're successful in communicating that you're not out, you're not setting out to abort babies? That's really not what you're about. And I think that you all get tarred with that. Well, let me say, um, I'm, the, I'm the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Metropolitan Washington, or, mm-hmm. or we call it PPMW. PPMW was formed about 85 years ago, um, and it is, the, um, it is the oldest and largest provider of family planning services in, in the um, Washington region. We provide um, things like family planning services. What does that mean? Things like pap smears, breast exams, testicular exams, sexually transmitted infection, testing and treatment, HIV prevention as, you know, things like um, PrEP and NPREP to prevent and to treat um, HIV. Um, We also do um, a full range of birth control. So everything from the pill to um, to an IUD or an injectable. Um, we provide abortion both through medication abortion as well as what we call in-clinic abortion. Um, we provide full primary care. So some, someone can come to us for a, um, a sore throat, um, a, um, anxiety, depression, um, diabetes um, diagnosis and monitoring of chronic um, chronic um, conditions. So we treat urinary tract infections. We treat a lot of different uh, things. So we do full primary care as well. Um, your viewers might be interested to know that Planned Parenthood has an app. It's called Planned Parenthood Direct, and in fact, it is it is the number one app in the App Store for um, sexual and reproductive health. And what does it do? Um, someone on the app can get treated, a woman can get treated for a urinary tract infection as well as obtain wow. oral contraception, the pill. Um, and somebody can do that 24 hours a day on an app. Um, so when we think about the last couple of years, which have been really hard on all of us and um, particularly hard in healthcare in terms of ensuring access to care uh, through a global pandemic, um, use of technology was really, really important. So things like an app or telehealth, and we provide, um, we provide telehealth to our patients as well. And one of the things that we provide for telehealth is, or on telehealth, is gender-affirming care for trans folks. So Planned Parenthood in Washington was founded about 85 years ago with the premise that everyone deserves high-quality reproductive health care and access to information and education um, so that people can self-determine. They can decide um, how to live a healthy life the best way they can. Well, you know, the Planned Parenthood does so much. And as I told you before we started the show, Dr. Meyer, my mother-in-law, who is a doctor, uh, always supported your effort because she thought it was so important. Uh, But let me ask you, given what Marilia asked you, um, very often Planned Parenthood seems to be the straw man that these guys put up there and want to attack. Did we not do a good enough job in PR that 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 the people that stand against this are called right to lifers 
and and many of us are called pro-abortionists. I remember campaigning for John Kerry in Minnesota and a young woman coming up to me and saying, I can't vote for your candidate because he's pro-abortion. And I thought about it for a second. I said, that, that's ridiculous. Nobody's out there trying to figure out ways to get more abortion. We're pro-women's rights. We're not pro-killing uh, babies. We're pro-women having control over their own bodies. Have we made a PR mistake somehow and not, not framing the argument better? Well, I certainly think um, our ability to win hearts and minds is really critical. And one of the ways we know that is very effective is through stories. And when we think about right now, specifically around abortion, but also sexual and reproductive health, there's a lot of stigma attached to that. Um, And so um, storytelling and people telling their stories um, about having an abortion or uh, coming to Planned Parenthood and being a patient are very effective in, in that way. And I, I also think that, um, you know, when we're um, communicating to our supporters, let me just say this, if we were having this conversation maybe seven years ago, I would have said, you know, people, um, older supporters, veteran supporters of the movement would come up to me and say, where are the young people? And, and to, to be honest, I think that there was um, a struggle in, in communicating to younger people the importance of these issues because many have been, were born, of course, after Roe v. Wade uh, became law of the land, after the pill and other birth control became accessible, and so they've taken those, they took those things for granted, and then, and then of course the 2016 election happened, and we were inundated with um, with young people coming forward to say, "Oh my gosh, they're coming after my birth control, they're coming after my reproductive health, they're coming after my rights. What can I do? How can I help?" And so, you know, you know, there, what's, what's incredible there is, you know, Planned Parenthood has 12 million supporters. Um, and so, you know, I think we've done a very effective job in communicating, particularly young people, particularly young people of color, um, that we're here and that, um, that we are fighting, um, for them, um, and with them, um, and they're, they're in the fight with us. Um, I also want to say that, you know, when we think about our particular vision for the world, um, you know, we are, we're trying to envision a world in which every person's right to dignity, justice, and autonomy is fully recognized and protected. And certainly this um, proposed opinion puts all of that at risk, right? And we, we say and we believe that accessing quality health care shouldn't depend on your zip code, shouldn't depend on where you live or who you are, um, that you should have, every person should have access um, to health, to good health, right? And so, and we define that broadly, Right. So while reproductive and sexual health is one aspect of that, we know that we need to work in community to address some of the what we call social determinants of health in the public health world. And those are things like access to good food, access to stable housing, access to good, um, good education, access to safe neighborhoods. All of those things contribute to good health. 
So, you know, when we, when we um, are working particularly in our advocacy um, uh, work and in our education, we are working with other organizations to promote those things as well because we know that they contribute to good health, and we believe that every person should have health equity. Well, before I let my uh, co-host ask another question, let me say, because it's Mother's Day, let me point out that the majority of women that get abortions are, in fact, mothers. That is correct. They are, are in fact, people that already have children. That is correct. We should be be aware of that. Marilia? So, Dr. Myers, you mentioned, I have a few questions, but you mentioned the the 12 million supporters. I would like you to also say how, what is the funding source? What's the major funding source for, for Planned Parenthood, please? And and then I'll ask you some other questions. Sure. Um, so let me just say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I'm a mother and a grandma. And, um, and so, um, uh, you know, I'll say this. Mother's Day is a special day, and, and I cherish being a mother. Um, but I had the choice. And future... Um, you know, young women who are coming up, girls who are coming up, should have that choice too. And we shouldn't be in a situation in this country where we are taking away rights from people. That has never been the sort of the course, um, you know, in terms of Supreme Court decisions when decisions have been revisited and overturned. They were about advancing rights, not to take them away. Um, so, um, Oh my goodness! Now I've forgotten your question. I'm so sorry. You you mentioned 12 million supporters. Yes, so yes, and funding. What your source of funding? Sure. Is. So PBNW, for example, our budget depends on philanthropy to keep our doors open. Mm-hmm. So whether that's private individuals, um, local foundations, that's you know um, that's how we keep our doors open. And of course. Um, we get support, uh, particularly in the state of Maryland, um, through something called Title X. And probably nobody's heard of Title X, but Title X is really important. It is America's only dedicated funding for family planning in this country. Um, and so how it, how it happens, it comes through, you know, uh, the federal government and typically gives to states and other entities to provide family planning. Um, and when we speak about family planning, that does not include abortion because currently there's something called the Hyde Amendment, which uh, prohibits, prohibits the use of federal funds for um, abortion. So Title X really focuses on providing contraceptives and other kind of family planning services like breast exams, like um, like uh, pap smears for low-income individuals. So it subsidizes care for those individuals so that they can get it. And of course, we should all be invested in prevention of all kinds, whether that's preventing um, diabetes or preventing cancer or preventing um, unintended pregnancy. So um, putting the control, the locus of control, in the hands of individuals. And certainly that control should never be with politicians, should never be with the government. And just to clarify for the listeners, Henry Hyde was a, when you mentioned the Hyde Amendment, Henry Hyde was a Republican congressman from Illinois. Yes. Before Can I just say something about that? Um, because I, I just want to emphasize, because your, your listeners might think, well, what, what, you know, what impact does that have? 
Um, it has tremendous impact, and it falls disproportionately on poor people of color. And so in the District of Columbia, if, a, if someone is um, today finds themselves unexpectedly pregnant and wants to terminate that pregnancy, they cannot use their Medicaid insurance, even though they could use it for a host of other health care needs, could not use it to obtain an abortion in the District of Columbia. So that, when we're talking about the Hyde Amendment, it has very real impact on real people. It's not an abstract con- construct. Indeed. On that note, I was also going to ask you, which was my next question, um, about statistics and, and facts and figures that you might have on those women that you mentioned, the very women that you mentioned that need it the most. Um, and it's my understanding that a lot fall into the poverty um, uh, belt, um, which segues to, you know, lives of children who are not in the best environment. And, and typically, it's, it's my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there is not great prenatal care. And this is something, obviously, that you all are also trying to achieve. So if you could um, speak to the, to the facts and figures behind the, the women in, in the poverty line and the women that you mentioned that need it the most. So, um, so, well, we know um, a couple of things, right? So we mentioned earlier that a typical woman having an abortion is, and, and the majority of women having abortion already have multiple children. Mm-hmm. So they are very well aware of what it means to be pregnant, give birth, and raise a child. And they are making a decision at that moment that they made the decision to terminate the pregnancy to to do so for the benefit of their of their children, and in fact, when asked about that um, through research, um, the number one answer from those women is for the benefit of their existing children. Um, so, I, I just want to say something that we we just brought up a, a little while ago, and I, I just don't want to leave it there, and that is this term pro life. I think we need to stop using that term altogether. Um, mm-hmm. Because there is no such thing. The people who are against abortion are also uh, access to abortion are also the people who are opposed to anything that would help that child, whether it's um, universal um, child care, whether it's paid parental leave, whether it's um, more ta- child tax credits. They're opposed to everything that could anything that could support and and bolster that family. And so when we think about families that are already vulnerable and in precarious positions, you know, you know, potentially um, because of economics or, you know, losing jobs or, or whatever the, the case may be, um, certainly uh, another child could tip that family over the brink into poverty. And I'll just share a story with you and um, that... Um, my grandmother was an orphan. She was the eldest of seven. She was brought up in the home for Jewish children in New York City. And her mother, um, the reason she went to the orphanage was that her mother um, had had severe postpartum depression after her pregnancies and finally was institutionalized and institutionalized for the rest of her life. And my grandmother was 12 at the time. She says the first time that she was at the um, orphanage was the first time she ever had a bed or a toothbrush. 
She then grew up and uh, met my grandfather. And um, my uh, this was in you know the the you know uh, late twenties, early thirties, and we know what happened then. Um, and she had two growing boys, and it was the you know early thirties in the midst of the deep depression. And um, she was pregnant again, and um, she decided to have an illegal abortion. And at the time, and I want to remind everyone. At the time, there was a very high percentage that you would not survive the the procedure um, because of infection and other results, or you would entirely lose your ability to have successive children um, because of those side effects. And so when I think about that, my grandmother at the time decided that she knew she couldn't feed her existing children. Her husband was out of work. They were hungry. They had nothing. She had an abortion to save her family because she saw what happened to her own mother um, and the fact that her own mother lost her family. And so um, after the Depression and my grandfather was back at work, they had my Aunt Barbara in 1945. So um, so in any case, um, I think... Uh, when I think about that, and I think about the fact that we are going back to that, to a place where women will need abortion, and they will find abortion, but it won't be safe, or it may not be safe, um, that's, what we're, that's what this country is going back to, is that women will continue to put their own lives on the line to save their families. Well, since since we're sharing stories, and I think you're right, I think when people hear these individual stories, it makes a big difference. Uh, I, too, am an orphan, but when it comes to uh, what you're talking about, abortion rights for, for women that don't have money, uh, in 2009, I went to jail and went to trial uh, protesting the fact that the Senate had taken out of our budget uh, money, local money, that had been dedicated to women who were on uh, Medicaid and wanted an abortion. Um, uh, We protested, we were arrested, went to trial, and I don't want to digress here, but but I have to tell you, at the end of the trial, the judge said to me, you are my hero, I admire so much people that stand up for what they believe in. And then he said, but unfortunately you're guilty because even heroes can't sit in the middle of the damn road. So I got <laughs> fined, I got fined a hundred dollars in, but, uh, uh, you know, but it's, it's true that this just has a desperate impact on, on, on poor women. And let's talk about the district of Columbia for, 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 for a second, okay, yeah. since we're both involved in the District of Columbia. Uh, on Tuesday, there was a, 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 a conference, a press conference of Planned Parenthood, yeah. where uh, Dr. Serena, Serena Floyd yeah. uh, relayed a story about how a woman had come from Texas to D.C. Yeah. To, for, for her because she couldn't get the abortion uh, in Texas. Uh, well, yeah, two thirds uh, of the women in the two thirds of the women that have abortions in the district are not from DC. Well, well, here's the thing. So let let's just talk about Texas for a minute because um, so that woman flew from Texas because at Texas, 
Um, once a heartbeat is detected, usually around six weeks, um, then an abortion becomes illegal. Let me just say this. Most people do not know they are pregnant um, before six weeks. So, um, so of course, um, even if you are, uh, you know, identify at six weeks that you're pregnant, you're, you've already missed the deadline. Um, and so we are seeing an increasing number of people flying from Texas or coming here from Texas. We're also seeing people coming from other states. But I want to make sure your listeners understand this this um, the draft that was leaked does not have the impact of law. Abortion is still legally protected in this country. It is certainly um, legal, and our doors are open in uh, our three health centers, our main health center, which is in 4th Street Northeast in the district, and then our health center in Suitland and our health center in Gaithersburg. Um, our health centers are open on seeing, seeing patients as well as, of course, telehealth. Um, seeing patients. So I don't want anyone to be confused. Abortion is still legal and certainly accessible in our area. Uh, is this ground zero for the culture wars is because of the fact that this means more to women uh, than just abortion. It means uh, control uh, over their own destiny, over their own bodies. Is this quickly becoming ground zero for the uh, uh, culture war? And you mentioned how you've reached out to young people. Unfortunately for us, uh, for, for us, I mean Democrats, young people don't vote as much. They don't vote as much in, in primaries especially. Uh, is this issue going to bring women to the polls, do you think, in, for the primaries and in November? Well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can comment on that other than to say that I think you're going to see um, a huge up, sort of an upsurge. I think people are tremendously um, outraged um, by, what's, by what's happening and by the possibility of Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned. When we think about young people, so as I said, a majority of people um, support Roe v. Wade, um, and do not support it being overturned. When you look at the polling for young people, that it, that of course increases. That young people do not want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. Um, and so I think, um, you know, I think you're going to see young people. Uh, and it certainly is my hope that they will um, get involved and speak up and you know speak out on this issue. Aurelia. Um, I have a couple questions. Um, one is in terms of what you're just talking about. Are you all, um, does your message focus on um, showing the plight of children in these, these families that are, are impoverished or, or disadvantaged? Do you include that part of your message? I don't mean to call it PR, but it's sort of your message to to the public, to potential um, uh, people who would provide funds and also to Congress. Um, I'm not saying that poor people provide terrible environments for their children, but statistically speaking, it, it is. It's just a fact because they don't have um, uh, much money to provide. 
Um, but there's also with that um, strata of, of society and a, a, a tendency to uh, abuse children. And it's and I'm not blaming them. I'm not saying that it, it's um, be, be, because of the way they are. But it's just a fact. And there's a complicated psychology behind it. And it's understandable. Um, but it is there. And and you with Planned Parenthood, you prevent adding more children to that environment. So I'm just wondering if that's also part of your message. Um, and my other question is, uh, how has a Title X fared with each appropriation cycle? So there have been recent increases to Title X, which is um, very heartening. Um, that the Biden-Harris administration <laughs> acknowledges the role that Title X plays as the safety net for reproductive and sexual health throughout the country. So that's very heartening. I'll, I'll say this about families living in poverty. I think, I think parents um, and caregivers who are living in poverty want the same things for their children that all of us want. They want um, adequate food. They want safe, stable housing. They want good schools. Um, they want, you know, they want safe neighborhoods. I think they want the same things. But I think when we look at the kinds of stresses uh, mm-hmm. that those families face, uh, um, I think they're extraordinary. And I think mm-hmm. when we boil that down and we really look at that, and that's something that um, at PPMW we take very seriously, is the issue of. Um, systemic racism and its and and its effects now in things like um, uh, housing discrimination, redlining, um, uh, lack of uh, good food and jobs um, in in neighborhoods of predominantly people of color. So um, when you think about all of those stresses, um, you know I think one of the things that we seek to do is to really um, to be not only working in in our um, sexual and reproductive health because we know our patients don't you know they walk out the door they walk back into their um, into their neighborhoods and face um, um, the stresses that come with um, uh, being a person of color in um, basically you know the uh, racist dominant culture. Um. You know, you mentioned that um, the Supreme Court decision, even if it goes through, does not ban abortion. But there are these things called auto, you know, I can't yeah. even remember the name of them. They automatically it's called a trigger ban. Trigger so ban. So there are 13 states that have that have trigger bans on the books. So what does that mean? It means as soon as Roe v. Wade is overturned, they automatically become lost. So it will happen tragically um, uh, very quickly in those states so that, you know, you could, you could have a situation where someone is scheduled to have an abortion on a Tuesday but, uh, or a Wednesday and the, the decision comes out on a Tuesday and it happens right away. So the deleterious and I think very tragic effects are going to happen very quickly. Um, uh, particularly in those 13 states. But we already see um, states, and that has been happening over the last several years, uh, where states have enacted, oh, 
um, more than 400 different laws restricting abortion. So while Roe v. Wade has been the law of the land, in certain states, that's compl- you know, abortion is inaccessible, or there are very significant barriers. We saw that in Virginia. Virginia had a 24-hour waiting, a mandatory ultrasound. Um, the state required um, very strict and unnecessary um, physical facility requirements for abortion providers. Um, so states have been putting up these barriers to, in effect, make abortion um, inaccessible. And what's just so, um, I think, um, heartbreaking is to hear the stories coming out of those states where, for example, um, I want you, your listeners to just picture um, a, a poor woman. She has multiple children at home. Um, she is working um, in a service sector job, so she doesn't have paid time off. She's an hourly worker. So taking time off is really hard. Um, in a state with lots of um, what we call targeted regulations against abortion providers or trap laws, she may have to come go for her appointment and then have to come back 24 hours later. That was the case in Virginia up until July of 2020, so when those laws were repealed in Virginia. So then that woman has to take a second day off of work, find child care for her children a second day. She may or may not have family support to, to do any of this. So now let's introduce the fact that abortion becomes illegal in her home state. She somehow has to travel distances. And as we heard earlier, uh, with people traveling from Texas to Denver to Chicago to Oklahoma, these distances are very great. And so the burden is just so tremendous when we think about um, this this woman trying to access health care. And I want to be really clear about this. We consider abortion health care. Abortion is health care. Um, this past week, I was doing um, interviews for a lot of international outlets, media outlets, and the, the reporters are just perplexed by why is this an issue in this country where it is not an issue in many countries and in which we see progress being made in South America, in Ireland, in Poland, and yet this country, um, the richest and, you know, um, most powerful country in the world, we're taking steps backward. And that's exactly what this extremist majority minority wants. They want to take the majority backwards. And so if anyone thinks that they are not interested in um, access to contraception, in um, marriage equality, I, I would say I think that's a naive position, despite um, Justice Alito's assurances, because these group of people have a particular um, viewpoint that is based in um, in their own religious views that they seek to impose on the rest of the country. Well, you know, uh, b- before we go on, I just got to point out this one statistic because this really blew me away. Um, when you talk about these trigger bans, uh, the one that would go in effect, the law that would go into effect in Michigan is one that was written in 1931, and, well, and, it, criminal, and it criminalizes uh, yeah. uh, uh, 
abortion for people that help as well as 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 you know for the doctors for the people that drive you to the clinic whatever uh and and the law was written in 1931 it's, it's crazy we talk it's, about text texas but you know there's so many examples of this it's 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 so completely outrageous um what these people are trying to do and i know um i know in michigan they are trying to uh, work to get a law passed that protects um, reproductive access in that state. In in um, uh, there are several other states that are seeking to criminalize abortion, not only for the provider but also for the woman who has an abortion. In Texas, they came up with a particularly um, outrageous mechanism whereby uh, they've basically deputized vigilante citizens who then, um, there's a bounty. Uh, they can get up to $10,000 um, to report somebody who's uh, violated this um, this extreme law. And so, you know, um, this is just sad and tragic and and I think we are at a pivotal moment in history in this country. And I think that going back to people um, speaking out, um, going to rallies, um, you know, uh, making their voices heard, we can affect the outcome. And that um, because we are at this pivotal moment in our history. I agree with you. And that's actually how we couch the 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 this show was that uh in terms of this is a this is going to be a this is going to be a fight um and um you're absolutely right about the conservative agenda you know there's a great uh great editorial cartoon in the post with the republican element saying to a pregnant woman we're going to force you to have this baby and here's a a list of books that you can't read to her uh, you know, I, I mean, it, right? It really is. This this really is quickly becoming ground zero. And let me just tell you for the culture war, and let me just point out that there's a law like the law you're talking about to protect people that's just been proposed before the D.C. Council and will most likely pass because it's got nine co-sponsors. Uh, but as we all know in D.C., uh, the law really doesn't mean anything because Congress could overturn it uh, anytime they wanted to. And I wouldn't use the least a bit surprised if we get a conservative Congress uh, if they'll do exactly that. Marilia, don't let me monopolize the conversation. Go ahead. Well, um, let me just um, yeah. comment on, on what you just said. I think, um, I don't know if you're on uh, Mayor Bowser's list, but I got a letter from her uh, via email. Um, addressed to thousands of district residents talking about D.C. being a pro-choice um, city and basically um, making sure that Congress understands we have laws and the, and the district city council has enacted laws specifically enshrining the right to access to abortion in the district, making known the citizens through our elected officials our stance as a city's position on abortion. So let's let's go back to Roe v. Wade, right? Roe v. Wade doesn't make abortion illegal in this country. It sends it back to the states to decide, basically through the political process, through lawmaking in, in those jurisdictions. We have very clearly um, in, in the District of Columbia said, 
We are a pro-choice city. We support access to abortion. And in fact, if the uh, local jurisdictions are to determine what happens in their jurisdictions, then Congress better keep their hands off the district. Yeah, unfortunately, that won't work in the district because the district's not a state. They point it out all the time. Anything with the word state in it doesn't refer to us. So uh, as I said earlier, I went to jail standing up for this because they because the D.C. Council decided that uh, Medicaid should pay for a handful of abortions. It's a handful of abortions, less than 20 a year in the District of Columbia. And Congress said no. They said, no, you can't do that. So well, they'll say no again, I believe. I, and, you know, and, I think that that, you know, that argues so strongly for why the district needs to be the 51st state. Yes. Um, and, I, and I know that, yes. you know, at, um, at Planned Parenthood, at PPMW, we have um, supported that effort and been very involved over years um, uh, on the issue of D.C. statehood because we know um, how important it is, it is for our patients to be able, if they are um, using Medicaid for their health insurance because they, you know, they don't have the uh, employer-based health insurance or, you know, they meet the um, poverty limits, that they should be able to obtain an abortion. Abortion is health care. They should be able to do that with their Medicaid card. And because Congress continues to interfere with the district, there's no question that the district needs to become the 51st state. I couldn't have said it better myself. Morelia, if you're, if you're still yeah. with us, if you haven't gone away mad because I won't let you talk, please go <laughs> ahead. Um, I just want to go back to the point I was making, um, which is really making a case, a, a more of a case for Planned Parenthood. Um, not that you all haven't done a fantastically admirable job, but um, there are figures and there are demographic studies that, first of all, show a picture of families and society and disintegration in this country over the past years. Um, and some of the figures um, show a relationship between abuse and these deteriorating economic circumstances. Um, affecting, of course, the, the most vulnerable population, which are is children. Um, the frequency of, of physical and sexual abuse um, doubled after 1986, and child abuse, and I think it is still the fourth leading cause of death for all children in the age bracket of one to four in the U.S., and the second leading cause um, for African-American children in that age bracket. Um, so in general, um, one in four, and in for African-American children, um, second leading cause. Um, and it's more common um, for both whites and blacks in the southern states. And also, children from families um, with incomes of less than 15000 per year, this is what these demographic studies showed, suffered more than twice the rate of physical abuse as, as kids and families of incomes between as higher as is small higher than uh, than uh, fifteen thousand to thirty thousand. So, um, my point being that these people should be focusing on preventing more of this. And I think when you have Planned Parenthood, when you have the ability to have an abortion, this is what gets prevented. Um, we don't want more abused children. Is is plain and simple. It costs society more, not to mention the fact it costs society more in many ways. 
not to mention the fact these children suffer. So I just think this, this is a case that needs to be made on a bigger platform. So, I, you know, I um, probably on, in my bio, although that wasn't read, I was on a school board for 12 years in New York mm-hmm. State. And so the issue of children, particularly young children, is a has, has been a really important one um, for me. Um, and so we know that when women can control when they have a child, um, whether that's through birth control or whether that's, that's through abortion, and that's, you know, um, that um, the family is stronger. And so we should all have a vested interest in stronger, stronger families. Absolutely. Um, so whether that's um, access to birth control and, you know, like the irony, you know, we started this conversation about, you know, men can, you know, seeking control over women's bodies and mm-hmm. can we imagine a world in which men control? Well, all we have to do is see the play out of the Affordable Care Act where the, the, um, the, the folks opposed to birth control had no problem, um, with, um, the Affordable Care Act insurers, um, you know, being able to cover Viagra, right? So um, we're willing to cover Viagra, but we're not willing to cover birth control. Well, that that is so problematic in the sense that when we know that people have access to contraception and health care and all of the other supports that I talked about earlier, the the adults in the family do better and certainly the children do better. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, at Planned Parenthood, our message is all around prevention. So, for example, uh, we do work with youth, and we have a um, we have an education department um, that reaches out to youth, and we use a particular curricula. We use several curricula, but one of them is called CLE, and it's Sisters Informing, uh, Learning, Healing, uh, and Empowering, um, and Forgive me if I got the acronym wrong, um, but it's a program specifically for African-American young women, ages 14 to 19, and it focuses on how someone um, can um, communicate with others, um, the basics around relationships and communication, um, things like, of course, um, contraception, um, things like consent, um, how to involve trusted adults um, in your sexual decision-making. So it's all about empowering young people um, to seek prevention, to be thinking about sexual decision-making so that they are prepared to make the decisions that affirm their life, life's goals, right? And that's what we want. We want people to be able to have the tools, the health care, so that they can make the decisions that are best and right for them as they determine that. Well, believe it or not, we're out of time. <laughs> not I want you to. I want you to tell people how they can connect with Planned Parenthood. Do you have a website that you can give us an address? Of course. For our listeners. Okay. So, um, uh, should anyone need care, uh, information, or want to get involved, the website is www.pp, like uh, Peter, Peter, M as in Mary, W.org www.ppmw.org. 
Um, and um, you can find all sorts of information and resources, and we invite you to do that. And I have to tell you, it has been my pleasure talking to both of you tonight and, again, wishing everyone a very happy, safe, and well Mother's Day. That's a perfect way to end. And, and, and let me tell you, you have this is one of the many elected officials you have in the District of Columbia that strongly support your organization. Thank you for being on the show. I hope you come back. And as I said, I think this is the start of, uh, you know, this is ground zero for the culture war. So we always leave with a song. And tonight, here's one from a group in Louisiana which has one of the most restrictive laws. Here's uh, Credence Clearwater with uh, uh, a, a song about revolution. So uh, oh thank you, everybody. <laughs> happy happy Good Mother's night. Day. And, and thank you, Good Dr. Night. Myers. You're Bye. most welcome. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.